The question is how you measure it. But when it comes down to me, particularly when I have owned my own businesses in the past, I have been more successful with a 400 person email list with a 40% engagement rate than with a 15,000 person email list with a 10% engagement rate. So it's quality over quantity. It goes back to that first bit of the messaging strategy, right? Who are your people? And every time you get an unsubscribe, I know business owners who are like, people keep unsubscribing. I'm like, an unsubscribe is a gift. All they're doing is de-junking your list for you. So every time you see an unsubscribe, you should say, yay, my list is a little bit more accurate and a little bit more engaged. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Mary Kate Gulick, the chief marketing officer for the Carson Group. Mary Kate is an award-winning marketing veteran, creative leader, content marketing pioneer, and Amazon best-selling author. She has an MA in advertising, marketing, and communication studies, and is a professional certified content marketer. After years of providing game-changing creative ideas, leadership, and marketing strategy for award-winning ad agencies, Mary-Kate joined IBM to lead their employment brand offering. From there, long-term client TD Ameritrade tapped Mary-Kate to head up brand creative and digital marketing for their institutional business, where she developed a keen understanding of the needs of RIAs and independent advisors while building the company's award-winning content marketing program and category-leading digital presence. She currently sits on the board of the number one nationally ranked chapter of the American Marketing Association. She's also the chair of the Hunger and Food Access Committee on the Junior League of Omaha and is a big sister with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Listen in for some great takeaways about marketing and how you can improve your outreach no matter what your business is. And also hear about Mary-Kate's influence on the creation of the Midland Money Mindset. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the amazing pleasure of being with Mary-Kate Gulick, the Chief Marketing Officer for the Carson Group. Thanks for joining us today, Mary-Kate. Thank you for having me, Larry. I'm so happy to be here. So am I. I'm happy to have you here. I love talking about marketing, and I really enjoy talking with you and your team about what we're doing here at Midland Financial as a Carson partner. But before we jump into marketing in general, can you tell us about your path to taking on the role of the chief marketing officer of Carson Group? How'd you get here? What was the path? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've spent the last 20, I always say 20 years, but I guess if I think about it now, it's 21 years, which is Uh, a little terrifying, right? But I've been doing marketing for that long. I started out as a media buyer and then I quickly moved to the creative side once I realized that media buying was for the birds and joined a digital agency in the Midwest. So over those years, most of my clients have been in financial services. So banks, brokerages, advisors, insurance companies, custodians, coaches, even Susie Orman at one point. So (laughs) after a few years of agency life, TD Meritrade, who was one of my longest running clients, asked me to come over there. And so I worked with them on their institutional business, helping advisors make the most of their own businesses. 
And it was a fantastic company to work for. And in that role, I handled brand and creative. And then I took on digital and content marketing. And our team built what I will proudly say was the best content presence in that category. We have all the awards to prove it. So after Schwab acquired that company, I started talking with Terry Shepard over at Carson about the CMO role. And it was a real natural next step for me. I've always admired Ron and what he's done with that company. And I really enjoy working with financial advisors and I always have. So this was kind of a no-brainer. And I feel incredibly honored to have this role and to be able to work with the cool people I get to work with every day. That's amazing. And listen, I want to share with listeners, and I don't know if you recall this or not, but our first introduction was at a TD Ameritrade conference, I think, very close to right before the pandemic started. That's right. And yeah. And that was where I was contemplating. I had thoughts and some baseline plans about launching a podcast. And you had done like a pop-up marketing thing at TD Ameritrade at that conference. And I approached you afterwards and I picked your brain a little bit. And I think we corresponded shortly after that. So I have to owe a good portion of me actually moving forward and launching it to you and, and the help that you provided. So you're kind of ingrained in the Midland money mindset from the, uh, the very beginning. Well, that's the nicest thing anybody's going to say to me all day. But I remember <laughs> that because you had such good questions. I was like, yeah, he's going to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, it's been a great platform. I've enjoyed it thus far. And having great conversations like we're going to have today and we have already started is the reason for it. So can you tell our listeners, so you know, they understand your chief marketing officer. Some people understand that. Some people don't. Some businesses and some entrepreneurs that are listening to us may not have the capacity to have a chief marketing officer at this point. But what do you do in your role as the CMO of Carson Group? So a CMO role is the traditional parts of it really revolve around building the brand of the company that you're working for among consumers. And that means brand development, marketing strategy, figuring out the advertising, all of those kind of things, as well as the technology stack and data analytics function. So I get to do all of that typical marketing nerd stuff. But at Carson, I get to do a little bit extra because we also, aside from just being a marketing department for our own company, we act as a marketing services platform for all of our advisors. So I get to talk to advisors all the time, talk to our partners and help them figure out what their best marketing strategy is. And then my team gets to help them execute on that. So I have kind of a dual role in that regard. And it's quite a lot of fun because if I need to get deep into the nerd stuff, I can get deep into the nerd <laughs> stuff. And when I want to go talk to people about their business and help them figure things out, I get the opportunity to do that. So I'm very lucky. Amazing. Nerds rule the world. Nerds that's what, rule the uh, world. That's what we say, you know. So where did this love of marketing come from? I mean, was it something that you developed after or through going to school or was it something always ingrained in you from a very young age? You know, where did that originate? It's a funny thing. And I was just talking to somebody about this and it made me laugh so much. I used to make up commercials when I was a little kid about just random things in my life, whether it was pudding or orange juice or American cheese. I'm sure there were some non-food items in there, too, <laughs> but those are the only ones I can remember. But I didn't know marketing was a real job. You know, I assumed that if you wanted to make a lot of money, you would either be a doctor or a lawyer. Uh -huh. And I was somebody who enjoyed writing. So I always assumed I'd be a journalist. And it wasn't until really after undergrad that I learned, hey, there are other ways to make a living if you enjoy words and if your mindset is focused on these things. So I had the great fortune of moving to Omaha when I was 22 with my husband. We moved here for grad school. 
And at one of the good digital marketing firms in town, one of their copywriters was going out on maternity leave and they didn't have a plan. (laughs) So they were just desperate enough to hire me who had never done marketing work. And really, I just never looked back from there. So at that point, that's when I met most of my clients who were clients of mine for the last 15 years. And it was really a tremendous experience. But I think learning that there was even a possibility that you could make a job out of essentially speaking things into existence, you know, (laughs) working with people to say, hey, what's going to make someone take action? What's going to change the way that someone thinks about this? And what's the most creative way we can put that in their mind so that they feel like it's not something that was pushed upon them, but something that they want to engage with. And those have been some of the most interesting and challenging conversations of my life are coming up with good solutions to those questions. So I don't know who wouldn't want to be involved in that for their day to day. It amazes me every time I hear it, how many people make a living doing crazy things like things that they never thought of. And you're like, you meet them and you're like, what's your business? And what is that? Really? It's a huge business. And it amazes me every time I hear it. But there's always a way to make a business out of something that you love. And it seems like this was something that was ingrained in you at a very young age. And then you kind of created this luck by design by being in the right place and taking advantage of that opportunity, which was fantastic. Yeah, completely. I talked to this woman yesterday and she just blew my mind. She was a model and a music producer in the 80s. And she would bring cakes to all of her shoots and to her music recordings. And it occurred to her at some point that she felt more appreciated for making the cakes and enjoyed that more than anything else she was doing. So she started a very famous bakery called Cake Diva. (laughs) And now she makes cakes for celebrities and for all these massive events. She was talking about making a cake for the opening of Atlantis and it had live goldfish in it. And I'm like, you make cakes with live goldfish in it? You know, like who does that? But right. somebody well, does. She does it and mm-hmm. people are buying it. So and, it's, amen. Uh, she's fulfilling a need, which is great. We understand, you know, as the CMO of Carson Group, that your focus is really on financial services and has been for a long time. But you are truly a, as you say, a self-proclaimed marketing nerd, right? Marketing person. And this can translate to any business, and many of our listeners are not in financial services. So can you give us a little insight? Why is marketing so important, and how does this translate to basically any business? Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, marketing is a growth driver, and it doesn't matter what your business is. If you're interested in getting new customers, keeping current ones, growing the relationship that you have with current customers, that means marketing is important to you just inherently. The key is, I think, it doesn't have to be complicated. So frequently, we hear from marketers who have made a career out of scaring people and scaring small businesses into believing that it's all terribly complex. And there's a reason for that, because it makes that you feel like you need them in order to to make this happen. But the truth is that for just about every small and mid-sized business, your first focus should really be on one marketing strategy that reliably brings in dollars. And for some, that's going to be something as simple as referral marketing. And for others, it's going to be, you know, very specific, you know, search specific ads that target really core keywords that are important to your best clients. But the goal should be to develop what that core strategy is. And once you find that, and it can take a while, but finding that one thing that always works reliably that you can then put on autopilot that's the goal is finding that one thing. So when after you do, you can start augmenting and you can start adding. But so frequently, business owners try to do everything. They try to be on all the social channels to run all the ads, to do all the sponsorships and the podcasts and the search-based content marketing. 
I mean, it's no wonder it gets overwhelming. I get overwhelmed right. just thinking about it, right? But the most important thing, like almost anything else in your business is focused. Find that one thing that works and be disciplined enough to say, I'm not going to try anything else until I get this right. And then don't add other tactics until you do find that one thing. But once you do, looking at that one driver of business, whether it's new customers or whether it's greater share of wallet from existing customers, build that one thing around that and then start expanding. Yeah, it makes it difficult if you're trying to be the guy or the gal at the circus keeping 19 plates in the air. It's a very big challenge to do that. Whereas if you only have to concentrate on the one and become really good at it and track it and know how it's going to work, I would imagine that's a lot easier that way. So Yeah. And the truth is, if you own a business or if you're running a business, you're already the circus master. You already have, you know... <laughs> Enough plates in the air. Indeed. So <laughs> let's not create more plates where we don't need them. You won't be successful in doing so, and you'll just create a lot of unhappiness and stress for yourself along the way, which is something no one wants. Absolutely. So I have to ask you a question that I didn't really have in the notes that I shared with you in advance. So as a marketing person, right? When you focus on one area, is it a niche or a niche? Okay, so... I, can you not, settle that debate? <laughs> I can, but people are going to disagree with me. I'm not only a marketing nerd, I'm a linguistics nerd. Okay. And it is niche. It's a French word, and that's how you say it. Niche would be spelled N-I-T-C-H. <laughs> and the word is not spelled that way, so we say niche. All right. People we might say I'm pretentious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard people say it's a niche until it becomes a niche. I've heard all kinds of different things. So from going forward on the show, we will refer to it as a niche because you just settled the debate. So thank you. <laughs> I want to be both correct and linguistically correct. So <laughs> as you mentioned, you've been in marketing for over 20 years. How have you seen marketing for businesses change over that time frame? Oh, my word. Everything has changed. But I think the two biggest things and the most challenging things, too, have been the proliferation of fragmentation of marketing channels and the democratization of those channels. So 20 years ago, the Internet was still new. We didn't have mobile. We didn't have social. We didn't have streaming services or YouTube. Google hadn't cracked its ad game yet. So Amazon didn't have a marketplace. You basically had mass media. Kind of you had email and some basic Internet banner ads. And you couldn't do any of that yourself. You had to work with someone to create it. You had to, somebody who would buy the media, who would code your ads, you know. Now, right. traditional media is so frequently the last thing that businesses think of. We have endless choices as to where to spend our marketing dollars. And all of that choice can cause a great deal of overwhelm, but it also creates a ton of opportunity. I mean, think about what Facebook ads have done for small businesses over the last five years. No matter what you think of the platform, a solopreneur with a clear niche, <laughs> you can spend $500 a month and target her people with what is arguably the greatest precision we've ever seen in marketing history. And they can do it without help from an agency. They don't need to bring in an expert to do it. They can manage the campaigns themselves. They can build the ads themselves in Canva. Right. Or they can jump online and teach themselves SEO and get an AdWords campaign up and running. And so many people have built businesses that are wildly profitable on those really singular strategies. Stand-up landing pages in just a few minutes. They don't need to hire a web developer anymore. So the availability of those platforms is a huge boon to small businesses that we never even could have imagined. 20 sure. years ago. And ad agencies, of course, will often bemoan the do-it-yourselfers. But let's look at it realistically. The increase in entrepreneurship and innovation that we've been able to see over those years is only possible because of the democratization of marketing tools. And 
you don't have to know HTML to launch a business website anymore. You don't need a design degree or Adobe Creative Suite to create eye-catching graphics. You right. don't need to hire your nephew to, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the way that everybody else used to do. And the truth is, it's magic. There's nothing short of magic. The only downside to it is that too often business owners will try to dive into all the platforms and tactics, as we talked about before, without that clear strategy. So even though I still encourage business owners to look at that one thing that's most important to accomplish first in marketing, and usually that's new clients over things like brand building or client experience and nailing down that one funnel that's reliable. Now they have the opportunity to do that and to try it and to see what happens. And that didn't exist before. And I think that's remarkable. And really have almost relatively immediate results, right? Or metrics, right? You used to run an ad and you might have to wait for the marketing agency to kind of do a survey or something like that to come back to see how many eyeballs saw it. You know, what was the return on investment? I mean, here you could almost immediately see that. I know with authors that we work with, they use Facebook ads quite frequently in promoting their new works and their return on investment could be huge. They can invest a thousand dollars and see 10, 20, $30,000 in return in revenue sales. And they know that immediately and they know they could run an AB test and run one ad versus another and see how they work in real time. And within a week, really have some good data as far as which ad actually was the better of the two ads, which we didn't have that luxury years ago. We did have it to some degree, but it was a lot more expensive, a lot more hurdles to go over to get it. And then to know the results was even more difficult. You didn't have that immediate knowledge. You're exactly right. And even when we did surveys and things like that to determine efficacy of ads, there's a whole lot of smoke and mirrors in that. You know, you can never be certain people lie on surveys just because they feel like it. And there's an old marketing saying that half of all advertising spend is wasted. We just don't know which half. Well, now (laughs) we do know which half. And the fact that an everyday business owner can go and make those determinations that even the most sophisticated and overpaid marketing analysts couldn't have made 15 years ago is an evolution that benefits all of us. That's amazing. Yeah. So we alluded or we spoke about one. I wanted to get into maybe three common mistakes that businesses are making when it comes to marketing for their business. Obviously, one of them is kind of going at too many avenues. As you mentioned earlier, that's definitely a mistake. And to be a little bit more strategic and specific about where you're going to target and who you're going to target. What are a couple other mistakes that you see businesses in general making when it comes to their marketing? That's a really good question. The big one, I think, is selecting the wrong people to help you. And that comes about often businesses will, because they think of marketing as an expense rather than a driver of revenue. An investment? Yes. They look (laughs) at it from the perspective of convenience and low cost rather than value. So you will see a lot of times like, well, I just brought in an intern and they're going to build my website and manage my CRM. Have they ever done such a thing before? Not necessarily. Or on the opposite end, they say, I'm going to hire the best full service marketing firm when really all they need is something that probably a mid-level person could do. In both of those cases, that decision is driven by fear. So either the fear of spending too much or the fear that if I don't get the absolute best firepower in the world, then I'm not going to get what I need. When if we really approach it objectively and say, what precisely am I trying to accomplish? Who is the person who can best accomplish that? And where can I find that person? Often it's not a full service agency. Often it's not an intern. Often it's somewhere in the middle. And it does require some, a little bit of deep diving and a little bit of work. But 
if you're being motivated by what's truly going to accomplish the goal rather than fear of either losing money or not somehow covering all your bases, then you'll be a lot better off. And then the other big mistake is not setting up that measurement plan right from the start. So, I mean, even I'll take you as an example, Larry, you knew you wanted to do a podcast. You also knew what measurements you were looking for when you did a podcast. Right. So you would know a few months in whether or not this was worthwhile, you know, worth continuing. If you just start it without knowing what success is going to look like for you, you'll never know if you got there. And then you'll keep spending money on things that maybe aren't working because you haven't necessarily set that benchmark or that threshold for yourself on when you should stop. I always think about even simple things that can be hard sometimes, even if it's something like a billboard that's seemingly unmeasurable. Keep that measurement simple. Just try putting a different web address or a different phone number on the billboard so you know exactly how many inquiries are coming in from it. Or it's easier to measure digital tactics, obviously, but if you do one way or another, decide in the beginning which of those metrics you care to measure. How many calls come directly from your search ads? How many downloads do you drive from your Facebook and Instagram ads? How many new contacts did you get from that trade show? And how many of those contacts actually did anything with you in order to determine if that was a successful spend, but make that measurement plan part of the campaign plan before you deploy anything. If you don't know what success looks like, you'll never know if you got there. Yeah. And then I would say the third thing is feeling like you have to do the things yourself. And I always think that's funny because most business owners are in the business of helping other people with (laughs) something. And if those people all thought they needed to do everything themselves, then... That wouldn't mean anything good for any of us, right? Right. So think about what is your highest and best use and what your time should be spent on. Is it going to be making ads in Canva or is it going to be setting up your Facebook ads or is that something you can outsource part-time? So those are the three mistakes that I see people make that cause them a lot of stress. I think those are great takeaways. And it's funny, as you were going through a couple of them, I started remembering before we became a Carson partner and we were able to dial in with you guys and have you kind of take over and manage our website to the degree we were looking at having a refresh of the website. And we literally got quotes from hundreds of dollars to tens of thousands of dollars. And you sit there and you're like, how could there be this big of a (laughs) gap between the two? And then, like you said, you know, there's almost like this FOMO that fits in, starts coming in because you're like, there's got to be something better with the one that's telling me it's 25,000 versus 2,000. I mean, there were literally that big of a gap and you start questioning yourself. Or on the social media front, you start thinking about diving into some of these platforms and maybe hiring an organization to manage that for you. And I think the funniest thing is, because we get approached quite often from firms that want to manage our social media, and our first litmus test for that is, we'll go check their social media. And when they have three Twitter followers and five followers on Facebook, it's like, well, If you can't do it for yourself, how are you going to do it for me? And it's like this mystical, magical, there's a little bit of that involved in the whole marketing world. And I think that to your point, it kind of overwhelms and confuses the business owner because I think most business owners to some degree know what they want, but they know that they can't pull it off themselves and do it themselves. They need some help. But it's so hard to navigate that those waters because there's such a distinct difference between the polar opposite ends of things. You're completely right. And the, the fact is, as much as I hate to say it and as upset as it makes me, there's so much BS out there. 
you know what, your $25,000 web developer probably is a lot better than the $200 web developer. But since the people that they're working with don't know how to determine what right. makes it better, they don't understand that he works on these platforms and he can handle all the backend integrations. And Do I need that, though? Right. You know, I, that's you know, the question. I don't know. Do I need that or do I not need that? It's confusing. It's terribly confusing. And unfortunately, people will take advantage of that confusion to get more out of you than they could. So yeah. there is always that requirement for some self-education, but only as much as is needed, because I think we've all business owners, myself included, have fallen into the trap of I need to learn all the things. Mm-hmm. so that I know everything and I won't act until I have learned everything. And yeah, if, Which if, you never do. Which you way. never do. So. <laughs> so what are three things that every business should be doing right now to market their business? If I'm a business owner, an entrepreneur, solopreneur listening to this show today, what are three things that I should be thinking about doing from a marketing perspective for my business, regardless of what industry I'm in? Sure. I think the first thing that everyone should do that so often gets skipped is really develop a clear messaging strategy. And the term messaging strategy sounds like kind of a nebulous thing, but you can make it very concrete. Answer three easy questions. Who are your people? What can you do for them that no one else can do? And how do you want them to feel after an interaction with you? That's it. If you have clarity on those questions, then any tactic you pursue will align with those answers and you'll be building a clear singular message. So people start to associate your brand with that feeling. There's always a lot of smoke and mirrors around the concept of brand. But if you are very clear on those three things, then everything you do will have more power. So the next thing that's often overlooked but incredibly powerful is what we use our websites for. Everybody has a website, but so often they're not maximized and they're not doing the heavy lifting that they should. So your website really is the central hub of your brand experience. And it's the gateway into most of your backend systems in most cases. It's no longer a static business card, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. And so frequently it treats it like that. And I'm not a millennial. I make business decisions based on websites. Right. Whether or not they're, my favorite word is janky. Like, is this a janky website? I'm not going to do anything. Is this providing <laughs> me value? No, it's not. Then I'm not going to work with you. I'm no spring chicken. So it's not this idea that that only matters to a specific group of people. But making sure that your website is optimized to capture leads in one way or another, hopefully in multiple ways, you know, with downloadable resources, with clear calls to action, make it easy for them to set appointments with you. And even... Some people don't like it, but the fact is it works. Even that nice big pop-up after 30 seconds on a site dramatically improves your contact capture. They work really well. And you don't need somebody to code that for you anymore. Just go to Hello Bar and grab a free one. It's easy as pie. And as you grow that list, this is my third thing. Collect email addresses, then do something with them. I will say that work that email list is the single most important piece of advice that I can give any business owner. I feel like there's this idea that email marketing doesn't work anymore, right? Or that it's Mm -hmm. not something that people use. But email converts. It converts better than social does. Not right away, Mm -hmm. always. You need to continue to show up. You need to continue to provide value and offer the opportunity to work with you or buy with you. The difference between email marketing 
and any kind of advertising, even organic social media, that's rented land. You are a guest on someone else's platform. If you're paying for search ads, you are renting those eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Your email list is your land. You own that audience and you get to choose how to communicate with them. Algorithm changes won't affect you. So building an email list is critically important also because it really helps how you do digital advertising. If you have a good email list, even if it's only a few hundred engaged, qualified people, it is then possible to create lookalike audiences within Facebook, within LinkedIn. And that's how you start to amplify your brand to your people and to continue to find your people. So build that email list and work that list, if nothing else. I think those are great tips. And I think where people get hung up with the emails in particular is they want to have this huge list with maybe thousands or tens of thousands of people. And You don't need it. I mean, really, all you need is you need an engaged group of people, maybe even a couple of hundred, maybe even a hundred engaged people who enjoy and follow your content and are going to become raving fans. Yeah. I mean, that's all you really need. So to build a list of 10,000 or 100,000 really isn't that important. I know we don't really care about that. We'd rather if you're not interested in our content, drop off the list. It'll increase our engagement with who we have. And to your point, it'll make it that much easier to find those lookalike audience because now the people that aren't engaged are dropping off. And now you have a core group of people that are really interested in the content and the information you're putting out. So I think people get hung up on more is better and not necessarily the case. I don't think at least you're the marketing guru. You tell me. You're exactly right. I think that the question is how you measure it. But if when it comes down to me, particularly when I have owned my own businesses in the past, I have been more successful with a 400 person email list with a 40% engagement rate than with a 15,000 person email list with a 10% engagement rate. So it's quality over quantity. It goes back to that first bit of the messaging strategy, right? Who are your people? And every time you get an unsubscribe, I know business owners who are like, people keep unsubscribing. I'm like, an unsubscribe is a gift. Right. All they're doing is de-junking your list for you. Mm -hmm. So every time you see an unsubscribe, you should say, yay, my list is a little bit more accurate and a little bit more engaged. I agree. And thank you for sharing. Those are great tips, I think, for most businesses. So a lot of the businesses that are listening to our show, they don't necessarily have a CMO at this point, right? So how do you know when you need to move from a smaller agency or somebody that you have doing part-time work to a CMO? What's that line of demarcation that kind of says to you as a business owner that you need to move in the direction of now having a full-time chief marketing officer as part of your organization? There's a couple answers to this question. I think the most useful one is if you are spending a significant amount of your time wrangling all of your marketing resources, whether they be agencies or freelancers, if you are the one as the business owner who is having to get those folks into alignment, it's time to bring in a marketing director, whether they're part-time or full-time, but someone else to take that one thing off of your plate because it occupies a significant amount of real estate in your noggin. And that is real estate that is not your highest and best use. But the thing that's so great, Larry, right now is that it's easier than ever to bring on fractional help even down to the idea of a fractional CMO, right? There are a lot of good services that provide somebody that you can get 10 hours of CMO time. So maybe you already have a lot of agency relationships and freelancers. You just need somebody to wrangle those folks and get them on strategy. A good CMO could do that for you in 10 hours, you know? So 
right. 10 hours a week. So that might be a really good solution for folks. And that lets you say, okay, this is the most important thing in marketing for me to offload. Here's how I do that. Try that, see how it works. Then you can start looking for other things to outsource. And as you start seeing a monetary benefit and more revenue generated from that aligned strategy, then you can make a clear case for bringing somebody on full time or upping the time that you have someone. But so many business owners find themselves in the position of spending about 60 to 70% of their time on marketing, even when they start bringing in help resources because they have to tell all those help resources what to do. Right. And if that's not what you want to do with your time, I love the idea of a fractional CMO. And if you're ready for a full-time person, look at somebody who's mid-level in their career and bring them on as a marketing director, somebody who's worked with a couple of different types of businesses who still is close enough to the work. So they're not just 100% strategy and 0% implementation, but who wants to exercise their strategic chops and whose main kind of issue with their former positions is that they didn't get to bring everything together in the way that they thought it should be brought together. In my opinion, for mid-sized businesses, those make the best marketing directors, great implementers who have a strategic mind who haven't gotten to flex those muscles the way they wanted to. Right. I think those are great points. And we've had fractional CFOs on here in a similar vein, right? The business starts out at a certain size and they don't necessarily know what the numbers are telling them or what the story they should be telling them. So the CFO comes in and the business may not need or be of size enough to warrant those services full time, similar to the CMO role. And I think that's a great example that you can move from you doing it to a fractional environment and then even to a uh, more full-time basis. So I think that's a good progression for a business to look at for sure. Nice. So listen, I got to ask you, so can you tell us about your book? You are an author. We talked about it in the intro. You wrote a book, The Real Deal, Get Known for Your Genuine Expertise in an Era of BS Gurus. It's family-friendly show, so I uh, (laughs) substituted BS in there. But what was your purpose for writing it, and what do readers take away when reading it? Yeah, during the pandemic, we were all working from home, and I had some extra time, so I was taking on a lot more consulting clients. And naturally, I tend to gravitate towards helping professionals, so coaches, advisors, therapists, folks like that. And so many of them who were coming to me were getting absolute garbage advice from people who did not know what they were talking about. And it made me really angry. We talked a little bit about this before, but these are people who were taking a big risk to start their own business so they could have an impact on people. And there were these just marketing charlatans out there who were basically hustling them, setting them up with strategies that were so time-consuming that they would never be sustainable, that they were so expensive for where they were in their businesses. They were completely unrealistic. So I wrote the book really in the hopes of providing folks a different path, something that was more sustainable, more automated, and less overwhelming as a way to do your own marketing without spending your life on that digital marketing hamster wheel of constant posting or without giving every penny over to someone else. And I loved writing it. I got to meet a lot of amazing people in the process. I got to help a lot of people. And it was really one of the more fun things I've done with my life. That's great. It sounded when you were saying that, I started thinking in about in our industry, financial services, I just kept thinking about financial TikTokers <laughs> as like a uh, correlation to the marketing folks that you were talking about. It's the perfect analog because I see them too. And I'm just like, why would I listen? You know, I, 
I'm a big believer in expertise. I think that there, for a while, there's this idea that expertise is this elite concept. I don't believe that that's true. I think that you got to show your bona fides and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a lot of letters after your name. Sure. The most talented coach that I worked with, she was not a certified coach, but she had testimonials for days of people who had, had worked with her and she had made a significant difference in their lives. And I feel like if you're going to work with someone on marketing or on your money, that you need to see their receipts, find out where they've been and talk to people. So real expertise matters. And it matters, especially when you're a business owner, because everyone that you choose to work with needs to have an impact on the work. They're not just there to get a paycheck. Right. And it's so much more important when you're smaller, because that lack of impact could have a lot more effect than when you're bigger, right? You're so right. So what are the next big things for Mary-Kate? Right now, more than anything, for me, it's all about delivering on the potential at Carson, serving more advisors and clients and and helping them blueprint their best lives in in new ways. That's where my my heart really is right now. And that's what I'll be pushing on. But I feel like we've got big things coming this year on that front. But then personally, now that my youngest is 100% vaccinated, I'm really looking forward to a family <laughs> vacation. And I might be picking your brain, Larry, because we need some Disney World advice at some point. All right. Well, I'll be on the phone with Denise. She's definitely more of an expert in that area, but awesome. I could give you some good tips for your son and what to see down there for sure. Love that. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to getting some traveling in as well. So I hope that comes to fruition for you and the family for sure. So Mary-Kate, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We end every show asking each of our guests the same question, which is, What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I love that question. And I think, well, clearly talking to you was a very good choice for me today. Well, thank you. But aside from that, I woke up this morning a little bit earlier than normal, and I sat in perfect silence for six minutes in my favorite room in the house, and I drank my tea, and I petted my dog, and I just thought about how freaking lucky I am to have a family I love, a home that keeps me safe, and a calling that lights me up. I don't do that often enough, but I did it today, and it was exactly what I needed. Amazing. I love that. And I just have to ask you, is there any kind of efficacy around the six minutes? Because you were very specific about the six minutes, or it just worked out that way. I have some control issues in my life, (laughs) and everything in my life is scheduled. So I literally was like, all right, it is this time right now. I'm going to take six minutes and I'm going to say, you know, so no, no more efficacy there. I bet five minutes would have been good, but I had the extra minute. So I used it. All right. Well, maybe if you have seven tomorrow, it'll be even more helpful. So (laughs) here's hoping we're going to have all your information in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about you, find out about you or find your book, What's the best place for them to do that? The best place to find out about me is you can find me on Twitter at Mary Kate Gulick and Instagram also at Mary Kate Gulick. And then my book is on Amazon and you can just search the real deal or search my name. Amazing. And thank you so much for Mary Kate for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. And more importantly, even so, we appreciate here at Midland Financial, our partnership with Carson and our ability to work with you and your fantastic team and all the help that you've given us with this podcast and with all of our marketing efforts. So thank you for that and make it a great day. You too, Larry. Thanks so much. I want to thank Mary-Kate Gulick for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Mary-Kate is a true marketing powerhouse, and it was interesting to hear how things have changed over her career. Mary-Kate's strategies and tactics are applicable to almost any business, and she has provided some great takeaways that you can implement in your own business immediately. 
Mary Kate can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find her can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.